This podcast contains elements that may be alarming to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You are now listening to British Brothers, the Full Cry Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to British Murders, the podcast focusing exclusively on British murder cases and serial killers. I'm your host Stuart Blues and this is a special bonus episode in which you'll hear me speaking with Dan Korn and Diana Carter of A&E Networks UK about the brand new crime and investigation series Cops Gone Bad. Cops Gone Bad follows on from the success of Cops Who Kill, Crime and Investigation's third highest rated premiere since 2019 and will include seven new cases. Host Will Meller is back with his team of returning experts, including retired Detective Chief Inspector Howard Groves and forensic psychologist Serena Simmons, to not only expose cops who have killed, but also fraudsters, swindlers, sexual predators and drug dealers. I recently had the privilege of stepping onto the set of Cops Gone Bad and let me tell you, it was like entering a world where imagination and reality seamlessly intertwined. I felt like I'd stepped through my television set and could finally see behind the curtain. From carefully designed props to the passionate and friendly cast and crew members, it was a testament to the artistry and dedication that goes into creating the magic we see on screen. Produced by ITN Productions, Cops Gone Bad was commissioned and executive produced by my guests Dan Korn, the VP of Programming at A&E Networks UK, and Diana Carter, the commissioning editor and head of talent at A&E Networks UK. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Okay, so I'm here with Dan Korn and Di Carter from A&E, and we are talking about the commissioning side of Cops Gone Bad. I guess the first question because this is all new to me as someone who's insatiably curious what's the first step of commissioning a series such as this whoever wants to answer it first feel free to jump in but what's the starting point of this being commissioned into a series it is something that we uh, think quite carefully about well in advance of each year in terms of the areas that we want our brands to hit, if you like, or or address. And I think that one of the things on crime and investigation that we try and do is we try and touch on issues that really matter to our audience. And I think that, you know, we're, there, there's a lot of true crime in the marketplace. And so, you know, we always want to be distinctive and we always want to be current. And our sort of tagline of our brand crime investigation is the truth is worth pursuing. We're lucky to work with some incredibly talented and able producers such as ITN Productions and Di and I and the team here invariably talk about how we can address this issue in a way that's suitable for our brand and that's really how First Cops Who Kill and then Cops Gone Bad came about. Can I just add to that, actually, that I think one of the things that I delight in, in, genuinely delight in working with both the brand and with Dan and the team on it is that, that, you know, Dan's kind of signature is the one that signs off the money, which I'm really glad I don't have that role. Um, Genuinely, (laughs) I'm I'm really good for Dan to take that one. But I think as a team, and it is quite a small team, the, the ability to take risks within with our true crime audience and not just go for the safe bet 
or the known entity or the talent, for example, that we think, you know, that everybody else is going for. We, there's always an element of sense checking. There'll be things that come in because they can come into Dan, they can come into Heather, our boss, or they can come in to me. And there'll be just a really quick sense check in the virtual room where we kind of go, do you know what? I kind of like it, but I'm not sure about that bit or I'm not sure about that talent. What do we think? You know, are we doing other things like it? Does that count it out or does it count it in? So there's a really, you know, good ability to sense check and there's a good ability to not do the ordinary or to do the predictable. And yet we also have to make sure we serve the audience with what we know they love. And we think and we like to think that we know our audience really well, although that audience does evolve and progress all the time. So I think it's a happy, happy balance that we're trying to kind of get to, really. You know, when it comes to a series like this, where it's almost the second series, if you like, so you've got mm. Cops Who Kill and then Cops Gone Bad. Mm. How do you get to the process where you green light in that second series? So what sort of metrics quantify the justification mm. of that? Yeah, so, I mean, we we do sort of analyse the data uh, a huge amount and we do also advance testing with our audience via a viewer panel and things like that but really the metrics what we work off the back of now is total consumption so we're looking at how many people come live how many people uh, record it um, uh, and um, you know how many people engage with it on every different platform so we get an, a sort of 360 view of what our audience thinks of the content and that feeds into um, whether or not we do a second series. But also in consultation with the producers, uh, in this case ITN Productions, we think carefully about whether we have more to say, whether it be about the criminal justice system, whether it be about the police force, whether, you know, so we need to be sure that you can take it in a different direction or or you can expand in the direction you're currently going in. So editorially, there's some important factors that fall into that. What was the logic behind shifting from focusing just on murder cases from series one to expanding that for the broader range of crimes committed by police officers in this new series? It's really the David Carrick case that I think kind of got us to that, you know, that all of a sudden it sort of um, it transpired that there was probably the worst serial rapist uh, this country's ever seen. And he was a serving police officer at the time. And that it kind of made us feel, actually, do you know what? We're just scratching the surface here. Now, it's difficult for us because we're aware that there are a lot of very good police officers with enormous integrity with whom we work in a different guise. Um, in fact, one of the police officers that's actually in the series, Howard Groves, you know, is, was a impeccable record and there are many others like him so what you don't want to do is you don't want to be giving a distorted view at the same time you do want to be reflecting what's going on in society and what's going on in the police so we just felt that there was much more to say which is why we went for a second season and also i i think with this one i think a lot of the time when we're looking at local content stories it can often rest more heavily on either the talent or potentially the stories and i think one of the really interesting things that this franchise brings to the table is the fact that the contributors along with Will are are really authentic and curious about the subject matter. The subject matter stands under its own weight as well. It feels really balanced in terms of that editorial kind of blend. I think both stand up really, um, really well. And I think that carries across both series within the franchise. 
You mentioned ITM Productions are producing this series. I'm interested in how a production company is selected for this. By the sounds of it, you've got relationships with a few. So first of all, how is that selection made? But secondly, what's your relationship like with the production companies? What are you expecting from them? I mean, the, the, the production companies are, are often self-selecting, i.e., you know, it's very sort of meritocratic in the sense that we, you know, we're looking for the best ideas and the companies that come forward with the strongest ideas are those that we invariably work with. And having the strongest idea uh, for us is usually a company that knows our current output and is aware of sort of the brand and what it does and and very and, and are very specific in their ability to pitch to our requirements in terms of the way the relationship evolves and how that relationship has to work it has to be a a close relationship one of mutual respect and you know it, it's it's a completely sort of creating a piece of work is needs to be a completely sort of symbiotic relationship you know it can't be unequal it can't be you know master and servant or whatever whatever however it just needs to be them and us getting together on a regular basis and working out what is best for the show, what works for the show. That's the most important thing. Where does that final decision end? I'm guessing with you guys, just regarding which cases are selected, for example, throughout the series. I mean, I think, again, I think it's a, it's a real team sense check to a certain extent. I mean, we had a conversation earlier this week about a, another production where we have to look at, stories we've covered before how they've been covered before we want um, our storytelling to bring something new to the table or a different angle or pose questions that we haven't thought of to our viewer our consumer because we all call they're all armchair detectives and i think anybody who really loves true crime and it's not a guilty pleasure uh, because they're really important stories i think they're all armchair detectives we have an armchair detective in all of us so we want the stories that we cover to pose questions, I think, or or pique the curiosity or sort of platform the facts of the matter. And I think that, you know, we often compare our internal team's views on, on what stories should be covered. So I think it's very much a kind of collaborative effort along with the producer, obviously, which is really important. It's exactly right, exactly as Di describes it. But I think in t- the buck stops with us. You know, I think that um, we, the, the the producer will bring a lot of cases and we will sort of work with them and say, look, where can we bring something new? You don't want, again, to sort of be regurgitating mm-hmm. stuff that's been done before. How can we break new ground? Where are the cases where we can either bring a new contributor or reveal a new bit of forensic information or a bit of new source material? But ultimately we're responsible for what goes on the network. So that's our final call. The story will continue after these quick messages. And now back to the story. I'm curious as to whether there's um, a decision made regarding the order of episodes. So the Mm. comparison would be an artist who releases an album, the tracks are in a specific order (laughs) to be consumed in that order. Is that the similar thing with TV episodes? Yeah, absolutely. Like an album, you want to start well, you want to finish well, you know, and you want to have um, as much consistency in between. So, yes, you know, you start with your biggest story because you're hoping that press and PR will pick that up and you want to sort of finish on a high. But 
the real the real key thing with a lot of these series is consistency is that you need to be strong right the way through so you know we aim for that it's also being aware of where sort of you know geographically your audience sit we hire you know we have actually a higher uh, disproportionately higher viewership in the north of the country rather than the south of the country so you want to make sure you've got cases that will fit that mm. so yeah all of these things play in uh, yes it, and the comparison with an album playlist is is mm, yes, pretty appropriate. yeah so will meller is the host of this series as it was the first series how did the relationship with will come about how did it come to be that he was chosen to be the one sort of the first of the series i guess well, we, I, I'll hand over to Di relatively quickly because she's head of talent and has a great sort of the, the biggest influence in, in that a lot of the time. I think with this, you know, what we do, again, a lot of uh, in, in conjunction with our audience and conjunction with our viewer panel is we test out talent. There are kind of a couple of different types, um, categories of talent. There's the sort of the expert talent that is the guide through a various sort of uh, precinct or or um story and then there is the um if you like the sort of accompanying talent who's you know through whose eyes they may not be an expert but you you they're almost a proxy for the audience you know they're finding out the things and asking the questions that the audience would want to ask themselves and i think that they need to be a sort of person that is has their own sort of credibility and you can accept in this environment so with will will was pretty near the top of our wish list in terms of the kind of talent we thought that would work well you know we've had the likes of Robbie Coltrane on the channel we've had Kim Marsh we've had Joe Frost Super Nanny um, you know we've had Catherine Kelly you know we've had such a range of talent in this particular instance we felt Will would be somebody who would ask those questions that the audience wanted answers to and he'd be somebody you'd want to spend time with on screen so for those reasons, I think we went after him. But die, sorry, over to I, you. No, not at all. I think all of that's really on the money, actually. And I, I was thinking about Will, funnily enough, on the tube this morning. I think he has a really broad appeal, a genuinely authentic, maybe an overused word, but I just think he's really grounded. I think he's really curious. I think he's really passionate about these stories for all the right reasons, because they do provoke or bring you know, a sense of outrage to the table and a sense of questioning. You question when you hear these stories because, you know, they're unfathomable to some level. And I think to Dan's point, he represents us as viewers in that way so well. And I think when he was first brought to the table to look after these stories as an option, he was kind of one of the only options we really were keen on, I think. And I think he's really interesting as a voice because he really can appeal to such a broad audience. He's kind of, you know, the mum's favourite, but he's also kind of really speaks to our younger audiences. And we know that our audience is ever evolving, quite right too. And we want to appeal to that broad audience. It could be the mum at the remote control on the sofa with with probably the dad there too, or the partner there too. But you've also got a whole true crime fan base or audience on a tablet in another room. And I just think he really can. He's got such a kind of genuine curiosity to tell these stories and he knows how important they are for the victims families as well as kind of you know societal debate as a whole that i think he's the perfect 
person to curate those stories for us along with the contributor talent by his side I think he's really you know I, kn- I know that in, in moments of record you know he would be passionate about the storytelling you know he really off camera as well as on he wants to kind of really unpack them and I think that's just who we need to tell them in this franchise I think it's really good I think you're right it does have the passion which definitely came across when I spoke to him mm. But he also has the brand and name recognition that spans. Like, I grew up watching him on TV. Therefore, my mum and dad probably saw him. They know who he is because he's been on maybe Dancing on Ice or Strictly, one of the two. Strictly, Strictly, yeah. Yeah. Many strings to his bow. Yeah. Fits the bill for me. I was wondering what the process is when it comes to any setbacks with filming, whether it's a case of, filming on set gets pushed back by bad weather or people are ill how does that work with stuff like that I think our relationships with producers is one of the things that we are are really passionate about because I think we do it I think we work with our collaborators really well and we understand because from our own production backgrounds to a certain extent we understand the intricacies and the, the highs and lows of that roller coaster, which is probably why we get on it in the first place. We know it could be anything from weather. Well, I can think of many productions impacted by weather. A global pandemic could get in the way, you know, talent getting COVID or or any such thing. Or it could be legalities, actually, that get in the way of our, our storytelling. And it can be the last minute or a few weeks before. And I think the ability to respond to that, along with our producer, not just let them deal with all of those challenges on their own. You know, we're constantly looking at pushing dates, TX dates or sliding things across or maybe topping up funds for archive elements that we think are really important to tell that story. So I think we have to come to the table willingly and work with our partners to ensure the best outcome for me. I think Di's put it well. I think the the you know, things going wrong in production, that is I haven't experienced a production where things haven't, do you know what I mean? It's like it is mm. absolutely par for the course. Dates get pushed, there's some issue, you know, there's and as Di says, I mean, I think the advantage of being in a coming from a production background, which we both do, is that you you roll with the punches. You know that some of the very best series, some of the very best films come out of sort of absolutely contorted production schedules and agonies of production and all the rest of it. You know, there's very rarely, if ever. So you 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 work with your supplier to get to a place where, you know, you're happy with the contingency. You you work, you know, you work through the issues with them. The worst thing that can happen on a production is that they're so nervous or worried that they don't explain to you mm-hmm. what's going on. So the minute that that sort of relationship of trust and equality starts to crumble is the minute you're in trouble. So we just try and keep very close contact. Makes sense to me. We're currently in the midst of a true crime wave that's been going on for a fair few years at this point. There's a plethora of true crime documentaries out there. How are you hoping that this series stands out from the rest it's really actually as Di was saying earlier I think that you know you have to remain true to your brand you have to remain true to the sort of authenticity and the idea that you're bringing something new to the subject matter I think if you get too sort of blinded by everything else that's out there you you kind of lose your focus so I think we genuinely, when we go into these and when we go into something like Cops Gone Bad, we're going into it with a conviction that we have something to say. 
and therefore you know we we feel that this will stand out by virtue of the fact that it has original journalism mm-hmm. high production values strong presenter and it's dealing with material that really matters to an awful lot of people for those reasons we think it will stand out i also think you know the the clue partly is in the brand name that crime investigation back to that armchair detective we want to pose the facts of the stories and put them on the table and that investigation part I think is really important to our viewers um, because I think that's a story that they can be a part of it might not necessarily have a clear-cut journey and we want them to be immersed in that and we don't you know these stories are you know they have the opportunity to be very intense they they are stories you can't really just idly watch in the background they're not background noise you have to really pay attention to them to appreciate the twists and turns and the intricacy and the complexity of them and so i think we really we don't need to overegg that we just mm. need to put the facts on the table as as respectfully as possible and let the armchair detective that we know that we know our viewer is immerse themselves in that investigative sort of storytelling i think that's really important yeah i agree with that i think also that there's never been a time where people have been more curious than they are today and less accepting of an official version of events you know and i think that there's a real opportunity to connect with audiences on a slightly different level maybe than there has been in the past and i think that one of the things actually we were talking about earlier we talk about a lot of the time now is the idea of hiding in plain sight mm-hmm. the idea that just because people have a uniform or just because they're in a position of responsibility or respectability you know that doesn't necessarily mean that they are everything that um, they say or they're mm-hmm. represented to be and i think that's the the attraction at the moment of stripping away the surface and working out what's lying underneath yeah, you don't seem to see many shows focusing on cops as bad guys really which is <laughs> no, quite, it's tricky it's quite it's a, tr- quite a unique way to to get in the niche i suppose i was wondering what the involvement you have with families of those affected by people who've you know subjected to these mm. various incidents by officers are they involved at all in the production or the commissioning i can't think of many stories that we've told where the where the family haven't been integral whether they're on camera or off they kind of come first in terms of our respect and care i think we've got a huge duty of care to work with those families to tell the stories in a way that they need telling um and we we really want to tell their story front and center I've still got family members mobile phone numbers on my phone where because also I don't I think that it's not just you know a case of having that family contact whether it's by a producer or not and then when the program actually goes to air job done we often have a duty of care that extends well past that point because once that program and that content is out there their story continues and I think we have to work really carefully through the producers with the families to ensure that we um, tell the stories well, I think. Just one final question, I think. I guess the key message you want the audience to take from this, it is something different. You've mentioned about people hiding in plain sight, people mm. you would trust, but what's the sort of key message you're hoping or the key takeaway for, for the audience when this comes to air? 
if there is one sort of key takeaway, is really about trust in public officialdom and public servants and things like that. I think that you have to be so careful because, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we're not trying to tar everyone with the same brush. But I think that um, the underlying this, there's clearly something that has gone terribly and fundamentally wrong. And I think that it is with the culture of the police service, which I know that in the Metropolitan Police, for example, Sir Mark Rowley is doing his damnedest to turn round. But there is clearly something that went wrong at an institutional level here. And it's really sort of working out what went wrong and how those in the firing line, and particularly the innocent victims, were affected by it. And then, obviously, to ensure that something like this can never happen again. So it's really those sorts of, those are some of the sort of key uh, messages, I think, arising from it. Anything from you, Di? I'm just thinking about Sarah Everard in that respect, actually, and about how she was doing everything she was kind of brought up to do. And I think one of the, the unfathomable things about that story for many of us, I was brought up to be, <laughs> some, some would beg to differ, but apply young woman who would respect the voice of the law at all. You know, you, you did what you were told to do. And I think part of the legacy of her story, which I think is crucial to us today, is about not just falling in. And, you know, having a voice and feeling empowered to, in the right circumstances and appropriately, question those around us. And I think that's the real takeout for me, whether that's me telling my own children to, you can still be polite and you can still question at the same time. I think, you know, I think the stories that we tell on crime and investigation are at their most empowering when they help give people confidence to ask the right questions. I think that's a really empowering thing. And so that's my take out for that. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that discussion. Thank you again, Dan and Di, for allowing me the time to pick your brains about how a series such as Cops Gone Bad is commissioned. The new series premieres in February 2024, but in the meantime, you can watch Cops Who Kill on Crime and Investigation Play. Listeners of British Murders can grab an incredible 50% discount off an annual subscription to the UK's number one true crime streaming channel. All you have to do is head to crimeandinvestigationplay.co.uk and use the code BRITISH at checkout. That code again is BRITISH, B-R-I-T-I-S-H. And that does it for this special bonus episode. I've been Stuart Blues, this has been British Murders. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, cheerio.